Hello, community, and welcome to the Only Women Entrepreneurs podcast. Here, we're dedicated to uplifting and empowering women by talking to successful individuals who have forged their own paths in life and alternative careers. I'm your host, Rosemary Cescolini, a high school English teacher who switched up my career to enter the world of manufacturing at a family-owned and operated business called Royal Door Limited. There, I worked over 30 years, designing and building award-winning and custom handmade wood doors for celebrities, TV shows, blockbuster movies, and countless professionals nationwide. And now I run O, an initiative dedicated to helping women thrive in the business world and alternative careers. Join me as we discover the lessons learned along the way. So without further delay, let's learn about our guest for this episode. It's my absolute pleasure I'm privileged to introduce Doug Winston. Doug is an exceptional individual who has excelled in many areas of life. As a high school graduate, Doug has defied the notion that formal degrees are the only gateway to success. With over three decades in the electrical contracting industry, he's not only owned and operated his own business, DM Electrical Contracting Inc. in Elmsford, New York, but has also ventured into real estate, utilities, and even professional motorsports team called DM Motorsports Inc. These are exceptional activities which highly motivate and drive me to pursue personal excellence as well. Despite the fact he's very, very busy, has time to professionally race part-time in the Pirelli Trans Am uh, series. Beyond his thriving entrepreneurial ventures, Doug is also dedicated advocate for skilled trades. His extensive teaching experience, including educating on the national electric code and high voltage safety underscores his commitment to sharing his knowledge and expertise with the next generation. In the realm of philanthropy, Doug generously devotes his time and resources to bring back the trades, an organization focused on revitalizing the skilled trades and providing educational opportunities for aspiring tradespeople. Welcome, Doug. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. So I, I want to begin by letting our community know how we met. It was through a post in LinkedIn, and it was about several weeks ago where the post hit a nerve with me in, in two aspects, very important points. And these are the societal misconceptions and beliefs that we have regarding the skilled trades. In particular, the fact that I find the the comment was a bit derogatory and you were just spreading the information that if you're in the skilled trades, like you work with your hands, like I'm a woodworker, you're, you're an electrician, so you must be dumb. You couldn't make it in university. So that's the first thing that kind of upset me. And then the second thing is the fact that there's a tremendous amount of societal pressure with parents. They feel a sense of shame if their kids are not going to a path towards a university or college degree. And, and these are things that we have to shatter because I have to tell you, and I can't say it enough, and you probably agree with it, that without the skilled individuals, men and women, our, our society would uh, cease to function right now. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you on this computer. I wouldn't have the headsets or, or anything that we appreciate on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're here today. We're going to find out your success from your educational experience and your work experiences. So I'm going to leave the conversation open to you. All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to touch back on what you said there. And then, you know, one of the, one of the most important concepts is that we, we really need to dispel the myth is that skilled trades are for dumb kids. And th this is something that we have been 
just absolutely been drilled into our head that college, 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 college. And if you don't go to college, you're a failure. Meanwhile, you know, we have to look at how the educational system has evolved over the last 50 years. Uh, prior to, I would say, the late 1970s, high school was intended to prepare most people for the workforce and a very small portion of that for professional endeavors. Um, and then we got away from that. We got to the point where everybody has to go to college. Well, if everyone has to go to college and be prepared for the workforce, then we failed at the high school level. And it's not so much a failure. It's that we made a huge business out of college for all. So we use shame as a method to tell people, if you don't go to college, you're dumb. And it's it's a horrible, horrible message. And unfortunately, parents have had that drilled into their head and they drill it into their kid's head. And while they'll stand there and say to you, no, I think it's great what you're doing. And that's fantastic. And you're fantastic. Oh, but my little Johnny's going to college. So, you know, it, it's... It's very different. Um, obviously, you know, it, I felt it when I started in the trades. I was in high school, um, didn't really have a good sense of what I wanted to do. My mother was one of those parents who are, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. And, you know, I, I had a decent enough average in school. Let's say I, had a, I was an 85 student. You know, I, I had the ability to pay attention, um, learn what the teacher was doing, and then, you know, shoot spitballs for the next 45 minutes. So um, so the potential was there, for sure. The potential was there, but the interest level was not. So, you know, I think the only thing I ever got 100 in was physics, because it appealed to everything to me that I was interested in. We we talked about horsepower. Oh, of course. We talked about electricity. I know about that stuff. We talked about sound. I played the guitar in high school, so I understood music and harmonics and things of this nature. So all of this stuff, this was like such an exciting thing for me. But I couldn't envision what particular um, career I would apply that to. And very little. So it's my senior year in high school. And before you can graduate, you have to go see the guidance counselor. So uh, I went to Catholic school. I walk into the guidance counselor's office and she was a she was a nun. Um, but more of a modern nun didn't wear that the habit and everything. And she was very relaxed in the way she spoke. And she picked up my folder and she looked and said, So what do we have here, Mr. Winston? She looks, she goes, Westchester Community College for Electrical Engineering Technology. Slams the folder shut and goes, What gives? What kind of a bullshit course is that? And I said, Excuse me, sister? She's like, Why don't you take an engineering? So I don't want to be an engineer. Why? I, said, I hate math i don't want to sit behind a desk it's just that's not what i want to do I'm just, it's not me well you can be a field engineer i'm like i i can't even envision four years of college doing math and all these complex calculations it's just not me i can't stand it so she, all right what do you like to do what do you mean well, what are you going to do when you leave here today? I said, well, I'm going over to my friend John's house, and uh, I'm putting a new stereo in his car. You know, he's building a 1968 Cougar, and I'm going I'm to do all the wiring for him and stuff. And, you know, I'm kind of into how they're building the engine, and I'm trying to pay attention to that because I like that. Because you like to work with your hands. Yes. You like electrical stuff. Yes. Well, you should be an electrician. And I'm like, I don't want a blue-collar job. She goes, you just told me you do not want to sit behind the desk. Now, what is it? She goes, don't you have any relatives that are electricians? I says, yeah, my cousin Al's an electrician. He owns his own business. Good. You're going to go home and call and ask him if you could work for him this summer. So, you know, 
Okay. Yeah. So I go home and tell my mother that and she goes, Oh, she thinks that'll help you in college. And I like, yeah. So I got the inn and we go to visit him and we, we go to his house and he says, go to my new house, not my old house. You're, yeah, the one you just built. No, 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 no. The, I, the, I built another house. No, not the house in Tucker, the house in Scarsdale. Now, Scarsdale is a very affluent suburb of New York City, probably one of the most expensive zip codes in this particular region. And I'm like, Scarsdale, okay. Drive to his house. And then sit down and looking around. Beautiful. 3,000 square foot center hall colonial. Brand new. Hasn't moved in yet. So what do you think? I said, it's, it's nice. He goes, yeah, I don't have a mortgage. I'm like, what? Yeah, I got no mortgage. Fully paid. Mortgage. And he says, well, you know, the house I built in Tuckahoe, I sold that. I made good money on it. I bought this lot. There was a house right in the middle of two building lots, knocked the house down, subdivided the lots, sold off one lot, kept this one for myself. I got no mortgage. At the time it was 1986, he had $15,000 property taxes, but he didn't care because he had no mortgage. So I looked around I said, I know what I want to do. I want to be an electrical contractor. So I never said I want to be an electrician. I, I just, I, I fast forwarded right away. I'm going to be an electrical contractor. That's what I'm going to do. It, it, it appealed to my entrepreneurial side. It appeared to my, you know, my technical side. So everything was put in motion. And that night I walked out of his house and had my first set of goals. And that was, I'm going to get my electrical license by the time I'm 25. And then I'm going to build my house by the time I'm 30. Those are good goals. So, so before you go forward, for first our audience that doesn't know, what does electrical contractors do? What services do they provide? So, one of the things I've always concentrated. I mean, look, electrical contractors will wire homes. They'll wire commercial establishments. They'll wire industrial applications. I have always tried to gravitate towards the niche markets because. Basically, if you do the same thing everyone else does, the only thing you have to compete upon is price. So instead of trying to be in a dogfight for whoever's going to drop their pants the lowest, I'm going to be in a market where there's less competition. So we have always, since day one, so the very first thing that I used to do when I went in business was we used to wire, install, move, maintain, relocate the bus shelters that people would wait in when they were waiting for the bus. They would have advertising in them and a couple of light bulbs, and they needed just a very small circuit run to them. But, um, you know, for a small, you know, two or three man company, um, we had 250 of these things to maintain and another 50 new ones to install. So we had a pretty big backlog. We had a $250,000 backlog of just that work when I went in business. So uh, that was always good. Then we gravitated towards uh, explosion-proof wiring. We had a customer who had propane facilities. So you have to do very different types of work. It's very detail-oriented. The techniques are a little bit different. You know, it, it couldn't be any more different than wiring a house. And that's really what I started out doing. We wired a lot of houses, and I got, you know, I got good at that pretty quick, and then I got bored pretty quick. So um, a lot of people would say to me, you know, what do you attribute your success to? I go, the fact that I get bored pretty easy, you know, because once I uh, something bores me, it's like, okay, I got it. Well, you've mastered it, right? And it just becomes yeah. repetition, right? And as Correct. an entrepreneur, you're always looking for challenges. That's, that's how we are. That's the nature of the beast. Yep. So the first few years in business, we, we, we did a lot of that type of work, gas stations, propane facilities, our bus shelters. Um, and then 
we started to give birth to other things as we started to get into vertical markets. So as we were getting into the later 1990s, I went in business in 1995, around 1999, there had been a government mandate in the US where you had to take all of the below ground gas tanks out of the ground and put in new double wall fiberglass tanks. So basically every gas station in the country was being renovated. So there was a great opportunity and we had a ton of work. So the company we were working for, they said, so uh, just want to let you know, you know, I know you're probably worried, you know, because, you know, the mandate ends at the end of 1999. You know, what are we going to do after that? I hadn't even thought about that. I was like, well, yeah, well, what are we going to do? And they said, now nah, we're, we're getting into a really good field that's pretty new. We're going to build cell phone towers. And I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And we started looking at a lot of the stuff that we did there and was like, well, we have a lot of these skill sets already. So this should be an easy transition. And we got into it pretty quick. And then the next thing that happened was we started to subcontract out the high voltage, work, putting in telephone poles, running high voltage cable underground. Uh, we would give this out to guys that were basically worked for the public utilities and moonlight at night and weekends would do that kind of work. So one of my one of my guys looks at me and he says, we're giving away the lion's share of the work. I said, well, what do you want to do? We don't know how to do this kind of work. He goes, well, the union's got classes. I'll go take classes. I said, okay, you go take all the classes, get certified, and I'll buy the equipment. And um, they, we had four guys who did that, just that. And um, I kept the end of the deal. And we bought some equipment. And that gave birth to our next division, which was DNM Utility. And we started to do not only high voltage work for cell towers, we started to do everybody's high voltage work. So, you know, our next door neighbors would maybe have this big office building job, but they still needed to put four or five telephone poles in and wire a transformer and do all that work. So, you know, we, that's our, we, we'll take that part of the work, no problem. And they would subcontract it out to us. And we still do that to today. But, um, and each of these gave birth to different divisions, but these were the various different niches we operated in. So, um, you know, and, and it's very diversified. There's people that could, you can be an electrician and I know people that, well, they wire ships. That's what they do. They do the wiring in ships. It's its own niche. There's some people that they just concentrate on more the low voltage side of the business. And when we say low voltage, we usually talk about things like fire alarms and teledata work. So, um, you know, any of the stuff that basically allows us to have our computers talk to each other. Right. Even if you have a wireless modem at some point, you need a cable connected to that. So there's there's a lot of work in those markets and um, lots of specialties, lots of specialties. Instrumentation, you know, you have a, a sewer plant or a water treatment plant. Well, they want to know how many gallons a day are flowing through that place. So there's all kinds of instruments that get connected, that collect data, goes back. That's a niche of its own. So there's a lot of basic niches beyond just putting an outlet in the wall. So you know, sounds just, like an endless job list of possibilities. Just basically find what interests you, right? Absolutely. Right. And that's just the electrical. That's just electrical. That's, a, that's electrical, which is right? fascinating. We haven't touched on plumbing or HVAC, welding, fabrication, machining. There's so many skilled trades out there. I mean, in, in, in the US, there's 650,000 unfilled construction jobs as of right now. Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch upon, right? Because you're, you're so deeply connected to the skilled trades that we have not only a shortage in, say, North America, but it's a global shortage. And, and it's getting worse each day. 
because we, as the skilled labor force retires, more job openings, and we're we're not keeping up with the opportunities that are be creating uh, on a day to day basis. So it's I think it's it's critical to the point where as a society we might regress. We're not we're not going to be able to meet up with the demands because our population is ever changing. I know that there's millions of individuals that are, are landing in the United States and in yeah. Canada, and they need services. Yeah. And we can't get to them because we don't have the the labor force to build these structures and items we need for our civil society. Yeah. This this is this is hundred percent true. And it's um it's it's gonna get worse before it gets better. I mean, you know, we are we do see a resurgence in the popularity of the trades as kids are starting to learn that a basic degree in anything is not a ticket to success. Um, you know, there's, I think the big lie became, well, you can't even get an entry level position without a degree. And then the education field said, you know what, we can one up that. Well, you know, you're really not going to make any money unless you get a master's degree. Oh, you really need two master's degrees. And, it, and it's, it's just an endless vicious cycle in which we still have a bunch of people who get out of years and years of college and have absolutely zero experience in anything and are so unprepared for the workforce they're filled with these idealistic concepts that were like oh you got that from your professor who's never had a real job in his life either got it okay so now let's tell you what's really what you can do well that's a very low-paying job that's all you're qualified for so we, we we've definitely done a disservice to our kids with this and um we've also done Another aspect of this that no one really quite realizes unless you're the owner of a company, and maybe you could appreciate this, but back when I started in the trades, you know, there was a natural progression and you would go from being a helper or apprentice to a journeyman or a mechanic, as we called you, and then a foreman, maybe a general foreman, maybe you'd become a superintendent. Now, as these guys age, got a little older, and they had some younger guys on the crew who are now becoming supervision, we had the ability to take these very skilled people, bring them in the office and make an estimator, a project manager, a project executive out of these people. They had real-world experience. They knew how to build things. They had good basic skills that they got in high school. They could you know, write a business letter because you learned that in high school back in the day. They had some basic accounting because you learned that back in high school, back in the day. So these were great candidates. Now today, who have we pushed into the trades? The kids that are perceived as dumb, which a lot of those kids are not dumb. They're not dumb in any way, shape, or form. They're just disinterested. They are not interested in the content they're being forced to learn. But when you put them into a forum where they are learning something, that they are very passionate about, they become sponges and need to know everything about that. Exactly. Well, I'm finding the education system is disconnected with the real needs of, of the job market. Okay, how many things have you and I learned? And that's when the, the education system wasn't too bad, that we haven't been able to apply in our lifetime. It was just a waste of time. Oh, yeah. We doubt. would have been better served learning things that helped me think critically, analytically. Yes. But no, we were concerned with the social issues of the day 
And but that didn't serve me. That didn't make me a better person to contribute to society. So just from your own experience, what is it that the schools need to do? And at what age level should they enact some of the changes to have children and also parents start opening their minds towards these alternative careers in the skilled trades? What are some of the suggestions? Well, I guess if we were to be so idealistic that the schools were listening to us and actually wanted to do this, I would say that in middle school, we need to start exploratory classes to show kids what actual careers do. Show them what does an electrician do? What does a plumber do? What does a doctor do? What does a pharmacist do? And figure out where they gravitate towards so that by the time they get to high school, we can go back to that model of we're either going to prepare you for the workforce and maybe go to trade school or maybe get into an apprenticeship, you know, look at pre-apprenticeship programs starting in high school, or we're going to be one of those select people that are going to go on to higher education because you're looking for a professional endeavor like doctor, lawyer, engineer, etc. So that's a very real thing. Now, to expect that to happen in from the educational system, I don't think you're going to find it because the educational system anyway here in the United States is oriented so that um, the educators themselves control the narrative that is being portrayed, and it's very lucrative to send kids to college. So, oh, you said it was a business. It's a business, a huge business. It's, it's money making it, business, exactly. I hate to say it, but to a degree, it becomes almost cult like. Um, you know, you go to college and this is your alma mater and then, you know, you give endowments to the school. Well, wait a second. The school's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for tuition. They, why do they need money? What are they going to do with that? Well, so they become more powerful and control the narrative further downstream and have other educators say, no, 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 no. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. So this is a Ponzi scam of huge proportions. And I, again, parents need to wake up to this and look and say, I need to make sure that my kid is being exposed to the things that they are truly interested in, need to find their passion, and then we need to help them to understand what careers. And, and look, maybe your kid likes to build things. So maybe they're suited to the skilled trades, or maybe they're more interested in being an engineer and designing that stuff. And listen, we need all of those. You know, We need engineers to design jobs. We need people to build jobs. Well, everyone has a purpose. It's just you got to find that passion. And it's important to to work together as a community. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We have to work together because we got to be problem solvers, not problem creators. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So this this is a huge, huge topic. And um, one of the things the, the group that I'm involved in, Bring Back the Trades, does are skilled trades exhibitions where they actually bring in local businesses in an area, usually at a trade school or a community college, and they will actually have them set up displays. And, okay, here's the electrician who's displaying it. He'll set up some boxes and some wires and bring some outlets and show the kids this is how we – this is what an electrician does. Yeah, bring some conduit. Let them bend conduit. The plumber 
We'll let them cut a piece of pipe with a pipe cutter and put the fittings together and he will sweat it and show them how he sweats it with a torch or how he crimps it with some of the modern stuff we use today. And um, one of the things that, so when Steve, so Steve Turner is the founder of that organization. One of the things he told me was the first time he did that, a lot of these kids were already in high school or graduating high school. And they were like, so how do I get a job like this? And the guy said, you want a job doing this? You want to be a helper? Oh, yeah, I'd love it. Okay, well, I'm hiring. You can start on Monday. Five kids got hired on the very first very first one they did on a small scale. And now they're doing them practically every weekend up in the New England area. Uh, that's so. amazing. Uh, the, you know, and that's what my first thought is. If the educational system is going to not play ball, we as yep. entrepreneurs, we have to take the uh, leadership role. We yes. have to set up these mentoring programs. And the networking, that's so important. Uh, one of the initiatives I'm working with with another entrepreneur in the area is to do O workshops where it's only women entrepreneurs. It's a workshop where we're going to bring very talented female leaders and entrepreneurs where we're going to have uh, seminars with uh, aspiring young women who are not sure exactly what career, like it could be an alternative career, like if they want to go into construction, but where exactly do they want to be? Or do they want to open their own business? And we also want to help young entrepreneurs that already have a business, but they're having trouble scaling it, making right. it more successful. Yes. So th these are networking things that I think your association bring back the trades, your affiliation to it, and that, that we network, we talk, we have a platform, we've got the internet. And, and we bring it to every platform that's available because, like I said, I think it's our duty that we need to take that leadership role because right now I just don't see anyone uh, taking charge. And uh, I'm very concerned about the upcoming generations. Like yes. I, I live most of my life and, and it's been a great life, but I want that to continue on to the younger generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a good point to bring out, and, I, and you'll probably enjoy hearing this from your background and perspective, but uh, one of the other things that Bring Backs the Trades does is also award scholarships every month to uh, kids that want to go to trade school. Well, in 2021, there were more female applicants than men. Fabulous. Yeah. So That's incredible. So is this Bring Back the Trades, is it only in the New York State or is it nationwide? We're actually just getting into New York State. Right now, it is mostly up in New England, and we're trying to pull it south. And as we come down, trying to hit those uh, Boston, New Haven, and New York markets, get into the New York metropolitan area. So we're, we're, we're working, we're moving very quickly to try to become nationwide. We've got a lot of support from a lot of people, but we've got to build that infrastructure. So um, I was speaking at uh, at an event that was at the uh, the New England uh, Construction Summit, and and one of the things I said was, you know, look, we need help, and I'm I'm not standing here asking you for donations, turn the money away, but I actually need help. I need your connections, I need your time, I need to know, you know, who the trade associations you work with are, and we need to work together to to grow this model because it's not a feel good thing. It's self preservation. We build things. I already told you we have 650,000 open positions and it's getting worse. We need to fill those vacancies. So, you know, it's, it's critical. We're at, at a point where, you know, if we don't do something, we're really going to be in a lot of trouble. So I think we're already in trouble. And it's like I said, it's it's mission critical. The other thing that I'm finding is that, uh, and, and I want to relay this message heavily, is the fact that 
all you have to do, whether you're a young person in middle school, high school, reach out to people like myself, people like Doug. And if you have any questions or if you need some guidance or help, we will help you get to the career choice that you're looking for, or perhaps set you up with, with a mentor that can help you better select what, what you're looking for. One person that I made a, a wonderful connection just recently, she's affiliated with the Atlanta chapter of the National Association of Women in Construction. Excellent organization where, you know, they bring women in the trades, entrepreneurship together, and and all we're doing is networking, networking. And we're hoping to, again, spread it not only through America, but Canada as well, because we're joined at the hips. And you know what, if actually Canada, United States and Mexico would just actually forge together as a true continent, we don't need anybody else because we have the smarts, we have the resources, and we have the the, the labor force that could make us a, a very independent and powerful, you know, union. And and I'm hoping that would happen down down the line. So I do want to address one thing about the women. So one of the biggest concerns is women have never felt very comfortable in the skilled trades because a uh, there's a stereotype on top of the blue collar stereotype. Women are, are also seen as dumb in the fact that, oh, we're not good at science, we're not good at math. And, and those are some of the, the myths that I want to dispel, and that's simply not true. There's, there's women engineers, there's women uh, machine operators. And so through your experience, just let our audience know what opportunities there are for women today that, that they can sink their teeth in. I don't think there's any opportunities afforded to men today that aren't afforded to women and that aren't being taken advantage of. Now, look, maybe they're not being taken advantage of in the same proportion or ratio, but I also have a theory on that. And, and that is that, you know, uh, I'll give an example. When my daughter was in high school, her principal of her school was a research scientist prior to being a school principal. My daughter went to an all-girls school. And this woman would stand up and she would pound her fists on the desk saying, we need more girls in research. And I looked and I said, what if that doesn't interest them? What if they're simply not getting into it because they just don't have an interest in it? Then why do we need them there? To make you feel better about yourself? So as much as I want men and women or young men and women to go into whatever career interests them, Conversely, I'm not going to say to people, you should become this, you should become, it pays good and you should do that. Because unfortunately, that's where some of the bad stigmas come from. Um, yeah. We'll interview apprentices. And I can tell you, we're getting a lot of female apprentices we interview. And I'll give you two diametric opposites, okay? So two girls, same night, back to back, one right after the other. And the first girl said, okay, why do you want to be an electrician? And she was like, oh, well, you know, uh, I know it pays really good. And, um, you know, I'm like, I, I, I like electrical stuff. And, you know, my grandfather was an electrician. So, I, you know, that was really important to me. Oh, okay. And, you know, like I work in a shoe store right now. And, you know, anytime any of the lights go out, I change the bulbs. Okay. And, you know, uh, okay. So we start talking a little more to her. So um, she kind of makes it sound like her grandfather was some somewhat of a mentor and that like she worked with him 
And then when somebody started to get into the numbers, they're like, well, he passed away before I was born. So we're like, okay. So at the end of the day, the whole thing was she kind of had a whole script that she was told to read to make it sound like she was really interested in this. Now, fast forward, we have another girl who comes in and she presently, well, her, according to her latest resume, she's a corrections officer. And wow, why is she applying for this job? She's got a good job. Yeah, she has a good secure job. Brought her in and said, you know, we're just, we're going to ask straight out, like, why do you want to go from what you're doing to this? She says, well, I'm not working as a correction officer anymore. She said, honestly, during COVID, we had such horrible staffing shortages. It was myself and one other male officer in a male prison working 24-hour shifts. And I just got to the point where I said, this is exhausting and dangerous and I can't do it anymore. So I'm working as a construction laborer for the last two years, but I see what the electricians do on the job and it really interests me. And I think that's the specialty I want to get into. So at the end of the day, who do you, if we had to pick between the two, who do you think we're picking, right? So, okay. So these are the two kind of scenarios we see. And don't get me wrong. We see the same thing with men. Okay. They, they, cause there's some people who will say, listen, you know what? You've got an opportunity because, you know, you'll get some preferential treatment because you're a female and you may get slotted a little higher to the top of the list because of DEI concerns and things of that nature, which I'm not even going to touch on. But the fact about, I look, I believe equal opportunity for everybody. Um, I will admit to you, I was not always that open-minded. I can tell you that when I first went in business, one of the first apprentices sent to me was a young girl. And I freaked out. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're going to have to carry her. She's not going to do anything. This is going to be terrible. I can't believe this. And um, the call comes in and they tell me, oh, you guys are out of ratio. You have to give up one apprentice. You have too many. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. You can take the one that just sent me. You got to take her, take her. So um, Foreman next day says, hey, she didn't show up for work. I'm like, no, 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 no. They reassigned her. We, we weren't supposed to get her anyway. And it was, oh, it's too bad. She was a good worker. So she was. I'm like, huh. So now fast forward a year or so, and I, I get another girl, Francis, and um, she's there for a week or so. And nobody's complaining and i said look everybody gets a fair shot when they come in here i'm gonna you know i'm gonna change the way i think everybody gets a fair shot so she's working in a hospital and i get a call that they're getting some wild voltage fluctuations in, in one of the very important procedure rooms so uh i tell her um okay where's the foreman she's like he had to leave he had a family emergency i'm like well don't touch anything i'll be right there get there and she's got i found it i found the problem you found the problem yeah what'd you find oh there's a loose neutral on this panel over here i looked test now give me a wrench give me the gloves take it up reading is good how did you know that she says, oh, no, I, before I got in the union here, I, I worked non-union for two years. So I'm like, I got four years experience. Oh, that's eye-opening. Wow. So, um, you know, that was the start for me. It's like, hey, look, you know what? It's great. You know what? We'll take anybody. There's, she's, you know, and I've had women that have worked for us. I've had linemen that were women. And I could tell you that I've made them foremen. 
because of their presence, their assertiveness, and their willingness to get the job done. I mean, we had one girl, I'll never forget, she fell off the back of a bucket truck and they forced her to go home. She refused medical attention and she said, come on, I just dusted the dirt off, fine, I'm ready to go. And we're like, all right, you got to take the rest of the day. You gotta, I'm going to pay you for it, don't worry. Well, I'd really rather work. But no, no, it's okay. But uh, she was she was tougher than half the guys on that crew. So, well, we we definitely have a, a different perspective today. Um, our race team, we've had several girls. Uh, we have a mechanic. We have mechanics on, on on our team that have been female. We've had interns. We've had mechanics. So, um, you know, I don't care. I want the best people, whoever they are. That's my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, two takeaways from your your discussion there, and thanks for sharing those stories. Really good. Well, one is you always have to give people opportunities. It doesn't matter, right? Yes. And if they prove themselves, great. They're here to stay. One of the things that we look for is team players, right? Mm-hmm. The second thing is safety. It's very important that they don't jeopardize their safety and the safety of their team players. And that they're actually being challenged, that they're able to grow to their fullest potential. Those are the things that we yeah. see as uh, lifelong career individuals. The, the other thing is not giving people special treatment for, you know, being who they are. It's just, you know what? Everyone starts with, with a, a clean slate. Just show me what you have, you know, and, and if I expect you to do this job, then do the job. And if you can excel at it, then you know what? You get more responsibilities. There's always that possibility of that elevation. And then the the other thing that I, I want to point out is trades is not only for someone that is in their 20s. If you're a person in your 30s and 40s and you hate your job, yes. yep. okay, I was supposed to be a lifelong high school teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I stopped after a few years because we had a new government that came into a play and said, well, we're rewriting the curriculum. We're going to do it this way, this way. And I go, well, wait a second. Well, what are we teaching them? It was more of a political education as opposed to, you know, life skills, critical thinking, you know, skills that I was taught over the years. And I said, you know what? I can't play along with that game. I, I just don't feel right. So let me go try something else. And my father-in-law, who grade five education, master artisan from Italy, he said, well, just come to the family business. We're growing. We can use your help. I said, I don't know anything. I can't even read a tape measure for crying out loud. Do you really want me? And he goes, everyone's welcome, just as long as you're willing to learn. And and that I did. I started on the shop floor. I had to learn every tedious detail to the point where I felt confident enough about our product to be able to sell it and to ask questions and to be a problem solver. Mm -hmm. So that just is proof that Anyone can change careers at any point in their life as long as, you know, they, they have interest and they have a passion towards it. Yeah, so. Absolutely. That's a great story. Just that's, that, that is really Thank great you. to hear. Thank you. Um, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I have to say, um, and just to touch on something you, you, you said there about starting over. Um, I can't tell you how many times we'll get apprentice applications from somebody who is, on paper again in a good job you're looking at it i mean probably the most interesting scenario was we had a gentleman who gave us his resume and he was the owner of a like frito-lay potato chip route 
which are typically pretty lucrative. And um, we like see him applying for an apprenticeship that's going to start him at, you know, $15 an hour. And we're like, all right, what gives? All right, bring him in. Let's just ask him. So we're like, look, you know, um, we go through the whole basically, why do you want to be an electrician? What are you They're like? All right, look, I'm just going to ask it. Yeah, according to your resume, you, you're a business owner. Why do you want to do this? He said, well, um, my route is in a very bad neighborhood. And last year I was carjacked, tied up, left in the back of the truck. And I just can't do this anymore. And I, I have enough money saved. I can start over and uh, I'm willing to start at the bottom. I'll go get coffee. I'll do whatever I have to do. But you know what? I can't go through this again. And like, wow. Okay. You know, like, okay, there's a candidate for you. That's a valid excuse. I probably do the same thing if I was in his shoes. That's a horrible experience. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, that's probably just the most interesting, but I can tell you how many times we'll hear people that, you know, college degrees have a job in sales. You know, oh, I'm, I'm in medical sales. Medical sales. That's lucrative. Yeah, but I hate what I do. I hate it. I hate it. I want it. I want to work with my hands. That's going to make me happy. Okay. Okay. Uh, you sold me. So, you know. That's true. So, the bottom line, though, right now, I think more than ever is everyone is experiencing inflation. And so your dollar, you know, yeah. you stretch it out as much as possible. It's just yes. not getting to, you know, home ownership is going to be difficult, you know, buying a car, going on vacation, taking care of your family. Those are all top priority concerns. So in comparison, a college degree and someone that's in the skilled trades, how are the wages in comparison to the two? Like who, who's going to be better off in the long run? Well, I could tell you right now, um, here's a few thoughts on that. Number one. I don't think any skilled trades jobs are going to be replaced by AI anytime soon. Uh, but if I wrote code or maybe I was an accountant or did something that relies heavily on basic human intelligence that can be programmed like tax codes or other things of that nature, I'd probably be concerned about AI replacing my job. So that's one thing I can tell you. Now, with the shortage of skilled trades workers, we've obviously got a supply and demand issue. So with the supply being low and the demand being high, what's going to happen? Wages are going up. And I could tell you that this last contract that we negotiated, and I am on the negotiating committee, um, here in the New York metropolitan area, our guys got an unprecedented raise over the next three years. So, and we kind of prided ourselves on the fact that they got a great raise, but we were actually probably not as much as some of the other surrounding locals got. And and look, you know, you can't compare, you have to look at areas because every area, you just can't compare wages. You have to look at what the median home price is in that area and the cost of living and various different things so that you can evaluate what, uh, what somebody's making. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of these communities are getting really good we've seen 10 to 16 percent packages over three years um on top of good i mean these are good paying jobs you know i mean in, here in the northeast our electricians are making i think 55 75 an hour plus benefits of 58 dollars an hour plus so it's a little bit they have more than more than a hundred percent on the benefit level 
Our linemen are making somewhere close to $60 an hour with about $28 in benefits. So um, it's not exactly low-paying work. Um, And again, look, if you're going to do the same thing that everyone else does, if you're going to do residential work, you're not going to get those numbers. They're not, you're not going to get those numbers. Um, look, some people say, but by the same token, um, the easiest thing for you to do once you become a master journeyman and take a license exam, you can open your own business. And that means either you going working out by yourself, you working with one guy or, or hiring some people. And I guarantee you, your income levels are going to be very favorable. So there's probably a better path towards entrepreneurialism in the skilled trades than just about anywhere else. Um, that's my particular feeling. I know it was, it was for me, it was that way. I, it's, you know, it's not easy because if it was easy, everyone would do it. But the fact of the matter is, is that the opportunities are there. And if you are so inclined to be an entrepreneur, you can definitely do very well here. Yeah, that's true. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. It, it is no, difficult. But it is. if if you like that challenging type of environment and you want to try things that is like a moving target, always changing, and, and yes, you will hit obstacles that could flatten you. You got to be able to pick yourself up. It, that's not for everyone. Not for everyone. It most certainly isn't. Um, but you know what? That's okay too, because there's there's... Again, I, I always thought there's a place for everybody in the skilled trades. So, you know, you can be to whatever extent or level you want to be, you can play this game. You can be an employee. You can be key personnel. You can be, I, I, I use the term not to be derogatory, but we call it disposable workforce because we're union shops. So if we need 10 people for a push, we hire 10 people and then we send them back to the union hall. They're not upset when they get laid off. They understand and then they, they like that. They don't want to be married to a company. They don't want to be a company man, so to speak. And they like going to different places and traveling to different employers and that's fine. And you know what? They're happy working their 35 hour week. That's what our electricians work. So 35 hours, but you also have the opportunity, you know, younger people, sometimes they might be a little bit money hungry and, you know, they have young families, plenty of overtime. You do have the job security because I just thinking back, my dad in the 80s, he worked at a company called McDonnell Douglas, who was bought by Boeing, right? And they, they made the airplane wings, especially when Reagan was president and we had the tensions with Russia. My dad was working 70, 80 hours a week because they just didn't have enough skilled labor to you know, do the shift. And, and he gladly uh, liked the time and a half double pay. But then uh, when Reagan had left office, all of a sudden, those planes weren't on order anymore. It wasn't a critical mission. And, and all of a sudden, you started seeing layoffs. I got to the point where my dad was 63 and they said, you know what, you're an older force. We're going to let you go so we can keep the the younger family. So I think that's one of the things that people hesitate towards the, the trades or even entrepreneurship because of job security. Let me get that college degree. And, you know, if I become a teacher, I'm union. It's it's really difficult for, for me to lose my, my job. I have my benefits and it, yeah. the, the pay is 
all the time. So I think that's one of the things that I'm glad you brought up to say, hey, there is a lot of work out there. So I think job security is here to stay for yeah. at least the foreseeable future. Absolutely. Def definitely. I can yeah. definitely tell you that. And then you touched upon AI replacing yeah. some some jobs in the future. But in terms of advancements in technology, they've actually opened doors for people to go into the trades to make it a lot easier. So in your line of work, where have you seen advancements in technology making it easier for anyone to to join your, your industry? Well, just, just from a training standpoint and from an introductory standpoint, one of the things, so one of our vice presidents here actually worked for the local utility here in New York prior to coming to work for us before he retired. And the last project he was involved with was using virtual reality to develop training um, where he would take some, repurpose some of his people that were, say, field employees and now make inspectors out of them and literally um, they would go through a training program that was entirely virtual, where they would literally walk down some stairs, open a door virtually, look in, and it would see that they were looking for this and they're looking for this, and that's what they're supposed to be inspecting. So um, that's obviously, and that, that's becoming more the norm. Um, there's a, actually a, a group in the U.S. here, nonprofit called be proud, be pro. And they have several tractor trailers outfitted with VR type of technology where kids can come in and they can virtually weld. They can virtually, you know, try out, see what an electrician does, virtually do what a plumber does. So we, we you know, a lot of this stuff is definitely coming into play. That's definitely things we're seeing. Um, you know, again, I think it's it's like anything else. Everybody's kind of throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. I had a, a guy who messaged me the other day, and he says, I'm developing this AI software that's going to look at your bids and determine whether you want to bid a job or not. And I said, what? Like, look, the only person who de decides whether we bid a job or not is me. There's no AI who's going to tell me that this is a good fit for us or not. I said, you're not going to be able to sell this product. I'm sorry. I said, I don't mean to be mean, but you know what? You better just stop this idea before you waste any more money on it because you at least talk to some people, okay? I said, I'm, I'm going to be blunt with you because I just think you're going down the wrong road. You know, there, there's applications for AI, but this isn't one of them. Well, I'm going to second that motion because when we receive invitations to tender, right? Yeah, yours truly, I look at it and I said, it's either doable or not. And and because I determined that, it's right. it's from my personal experience. Yes. That's something the AI does not have. Maybe yes. they, they look at the numbers and, and, and they look at if it's if it's profitable and, and uh look at the demeanor. Sometimes the demeanor in which that bid package is written and you know, where there's all of these restrictive covenants that are put in there. And it's just, you can read, sometimes you can read an invitation and know this isn't going to be an easy customer to work for. And then you find out that they're also not willing to pay for all this crazy stuff they want. So, but you know what? AI is not going to figure that out. Well, I'm glad you, you touched upon that and you shared that story. So now this is a favorite part of my interview. I had to ask a question about your passion for racing. Yes. So your race team, DNM Motorsports, yeah. how does your work relate to the skill trades, your advocacy efforts, along with your, your mm -hmm. racing team? So how, how do they all go hand in hand? 
Well, and they do, they kind of actually work, believe it or not. So um, I started racing car. I've, I've always raced cars in some capacity. When I was in my late teens, I drag raced. And you did the quarter uh, mile on public quarter streets. mile drag racing stuff. And, you know, that was that was really cool. Love that. And then as I went into business, I, I had a race car that sat in the garage, sat dormant for about 18 years and always said, I'm going to get back into this. I'm going to get back into this. Then I, I purchased a vehicle that came with a free day at Skip Barber's Racing School. And I did it at Watkins Glen and I drove a car out on track and I said, Oh, forget drag racing. I'm going. This is it. I bet I'm doing this. So I ended up buying another car as a result of that. And I bought a, a Corvette. I started doing track days. And uh, that car had just a roll bar in it. And then I realized I need a real roll cage to go racing. So we took that car and we made it a, a real SCCA legal race car. And I started racing, doing club racing. And I did that for probably the better part of about 10 years or so 10 to 12 years and then um i had met a young fellow who owned a race shop actually owned just a, a mechanic shop and he was just starting to race himself and uh we would compete against each other we became good friends and uh, i started to pay him to do trackside support he rebuilt one of my cars for me and uh he came to me in 2018 or 2019 and said i'm not racing with you guys next year so well, what, what do you mean he says, well, I'm, I'm going to Trans Am. And I said, hey, well, that's a pro series. You, you sure you're ready for that? He said, yeah, I think I'm ready. So I started to look and I said, well, you know, he's, he was building a car for the Super GT class, building a Mustang. And I said, I think that TA2 class is the way to go. It's basically a spec class, but their cars are 530 horsepower and they're light. The parts are easily available. Everybody's using the same stuff. And, you know, it's, it's really ultra competitive. Nah, I'm going to do this. So I said, well, I don't know. I don't want to find out that, like, I'm not going to be competitive. I'm going to sell my car and find out I'm terrible. All right, I'm going to do a rental. So I do an arrive and drive rental with one of the top teams. And I do it at Watkins Glen because it's a track I know. And uh, I said, if I can finish mid-pack, then maybe I'm going to buy one of these cars. So I finished 16th out of 30 cars. And I said, well, yeah, that's pretty much near the middle. That's close to the middle. And the next day, my car went for sale, and I started looking for a car to buy, and I ended up purchasing one of those cars. And then the following year, uh, I campaigned in TA2, Adrian campaigned in, in Super GT, and then he got the itch to drive my car, and I we took it out, let him test in it, and that was it. He, he ordered a brand new car for the following season, and uh, we've been racing in there for the last few years. So right around – so now – Again, I'm an entrepreneur. I have to justify everything I do. So I look and I said, well, you know what here? Okay. I'm only going to do about six races a year. So they run 13 or 14 races a year. I'm going to have the car available for rental, those other. So this past weekend, I'll just give you an example. I was not racing. The rest of the team was racing. And my car was being rented by last year's uh, Super GT champion. He wants to try out TA2. And he had a very good, good, good. He had a good weekend. He finished twentieth out of uh, forty cars, and uh, actually the whole team did good. My my teammate was we we were tenth, seventeenth, and twentieth, which is in that the particular series is not too bad. It's extremely competitive. We have half of these young kids are on their way to NASCAR or they're already. So um, it's a great series, and um, 
probably about two years ago, I'm having breakfast, scrolling my LinkedIn feed, and I see this big, huge logo, black and white, that says, bring back the trades. And I said, what is that? And I've got to know everything about this now because this is like, you know, this is like the thing I'm the most passionate about. So I do a little research. I find out Steve Turner is the founder and CEO. And I reach out to him and uh, I tell him, I love what you're doing. I would love to help. And uh, I race cars part-time in a professional series. And basically... I can see this logo just plastered on the hood of the car. So let's go out and let's do it and let's raise as much awareness and as much money as we can. And that's what we've been doing for the last two years. So uh, it's been a, it's been a good thing. It's given me a platform to speak. Um, it, it helps me do a little bit of advertising for my own business, which is good. It, it, it helps promote a little bit. We do some great, great events when we have our, our local uh our closest race is about an hour and a half away at Lime Rock Park. And um, we do every Memorial Day, it's part of the Memorial Day Classic. We do a big event. We had 100 people there this year. We raised a lot of money. We gave out a lot of Bring Back the Trades t-shirts. We sold a lot of Bring Back the Trades swag. And um, we got a lot of people interested. And um, every day it just grows and grows and grows. So um, I'm happy to help whenever I can. And, uh, you know, I've basically gotten to the point where I told Steve, I'm going to keep doing this till I retire. When I retire, then I'm going to help you full time. So that's the, uh, that's my story. That's great. So your top speed? Well, depends on the track, you know, track like Watkins Glen will probably get about 165. They, they, they gave us a little smaller restrictor plate last year to slow us down a little. Um, we don't go to Daytona anymore. It's probably a good thing because we were probably getting up close to 180 there, but these cars unlike NASCAR, don't really have any protection if that car goes flipped up in the air to keep it, you know, down. So probably better that we don't run there anymore. But yeah, most of the tracks we're getting up around in that 160 and change, Road America. I'll be going to Circuit Americas, uh, Circuit of the Americas down in Austin, Texas to finish up the season next month. So about uh, about three weeks from now, we'll be heading down there and uh, that'll be the last race of the season. I'm lucky enough to to that we have a mechanism called the Pro-Am Challenge, which allows us part-time drivers to pick six races and be scored just our points on those six races. So I'm uh, pretty much tied for third at this point, and um, I can pull off a second. I need at least probably a 12th place finish for second, but um, we should just, if we put a wheel on the track, we should be good for third place. But And we'd probably be in a much stronger place to win the championship, but we had a blowout at 150 an hour at road america road atlanta road atlanta uh early in the season we wanted sebring first race which was great and we went from first place to last place by the second race so uh scored no points because we weren't able to score we, we had the car all back together I, my team did a heck of a job but unfortunately in atlanta georgia you cannot start engines before noon on a sunday because everybody's in church so we did not know that we had a o-ring linking so we had oil pouring out of the car and i think i felt worse for the crew than i did for me but uh they fought hard we put that whole car back together after wrecking it and you know that's racing so oh, we're rooting for you we'll, we'll, we'll keep an Appreciate eye out for that 
So thank you so much, Doug, for taking the time to speak with us today. In closing, how can our listeners connect with you or access more information about your work in the skilled trades, advocacy efforts, or just hooking up with your company, DNM Electrical? I, you can easily, anyone who wants to reach out to me, I, I'm always happy to take an email, Doug, D-O-U-G, at dmelectrical.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always posting something about the skilled trades there, so I'm easy to connect with there, as you can attest. And um, basically, you know, I, I'm pretty accessible. I try to make myself very accessible, probably too accessible, but uh, I prefer it that way. So You're very generous with your time. Again, thank right. you. So if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe and follow our podcast to learn more insights and lessons to help you on your entrepreneurial and alternative career journeys. Also, like and share this episode. It goes a long way toward supporting and uplifting women and other people considering careers in entrepreneurship and alternative paths. If you'd like to discover anything O has to offer, including my personal and professional development courses to upgrade every aspect of your life, whether you want to launch a new business or take the next step in your career, visit us at onlywomenentrepreneurs.com. Book a free consultation with me now. Follow us on social media only women entrepreneurs to stay up to date on all things O and to connect with countless women and resources living and experiencing their best lives. Thank you for your support. And I'm excited to see you on our next episode. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. It.